Hey, hey, welcome everyone to Thursday's Roundtable with Pastor Wes. Good morning. Pastor McGinty. Ew. And this guy, I'm Matt Downing. We are so glad you are hanging with us today. We are about to get into summer, so we're going to actually do uh, a lightning round, uh, some summer questions, and um, kind of see how you would answer these. And uh, you're going to hear how we answer, and then we're going to jump back into our 10 questions every Christian should ask. Should ask? Should know. Should, should answer. Should, should answer. answer. Oh, I was wrong. Um, I haven't read the book, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, and we don't have it here today. But last week, we tackled two questions. Today, we're going to tackle two more questions. So... It's going to be good. You yeah, guys doing good, good, by the way? Hey, it's summertime and, um, you know, I'm, it's, it's short stay, you know? Oh, for sure. It's short it stay. Is. Yeah. It's Matt outside of podcast. The memo. It's no they meetings. Let me know. Serving prep day. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's, you, it's get a, to, you get to see your legs. Stay. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, man, uh, have you guys uh, got any plans this summer? Uh, nah, just a couple things, you know. Just a couple uh, things. Yeah. And student ministry is kind of a busy, busy thing. But we'll do a family vacation and... Um, yeah, send the kids to the grandparents while we do camp or yeah. So it's, uh, it's good. What about you guys? Where's vacation? Don't know yet. We're still, we're still working that out. So, and we always try to take vacations before or after, you know, because summer's just crazy and it's more expensive. Typically we're going to try and do a little getaway in Kerrville with my folks, um, right before the summer kind of kicks in. So. Cool. A weekend deal. I'll still be here Sunday, just in case you're wondering. Yeah, I'm, like, yeah. I'm not seeing that time off sheet. Uh, yeah. are you going to tell me about that? <laughs> it's like, I'm turning it in today. I'm just missing a Thursday yeah. afternoon. Yeah. Summer plans for you, Wes? Uh, I think we're still figuring that out. Yeah. We don't have it all. There'll be. It's you know, hard, isn't it? It's we'll like. It's, pop it's, in for a preteen camp day, pop in for yeah. a couple of days at youth camp. Um, can you continue to get settled here and. Uh, but I, don't, I don't know. I don't. So really you to make sure the big. kids are on the be- their best behavior on the day that you're there, when you come to camp. I mean, I mean, just yeah, not telling behave. The pastor is here. Guys, guys, yeah. look spiritual. Quick, raise those hands and worship. Raise uh, those hands. You know, come on. Knowing our kids, I don't think they can do anything worse than some of some of the stuff I've already dealt with as a youth pastor at camp. So. <laughs> We're not it's jaded not at good, all. They're good guys. Kids. Not yeah. jaded. Well, guys, let's jump into this. Um, we'll do some lightning round questions and. Um, you give you can give your your best answer for this. These are summer themed questions. All right. I need to get my Doc Brown uh, sound cue on this. The twenty one thousand gigawatts. <laughs> yeah. We used to put that in lightning round. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's a good yeah. one. All right. First question: What is your favorite kind of destination for the summer? You're taking a vacation. What's your favorite favorite way to go? Favorite way to go? Well, or favorite, favorite kind. Favorite kind of place. Sure, favorite, to go. If you're gonna yeah. go, how are you gonna go? <laughs> yeah, that's well, a different like, question. I think, uh, yeah, um, mountains. Love it. Yeah, Do you have a particular kind of mountains that you prefer, like because there's the rugged Rockies and there's like the Smokies. It's a little more like chill. Sure. I think if I'm talking summer, I would go rugged Rockies. I would go. I mean, whether that's uh, whether that's Colorado or New Mexico or you know, yeah. go up to like Glacier Mountain or something. Escape the heat. If uh, if I'm in fall, I would probably do either. But either because you got really pretty tree colors and stuff like that you know the truth is though just mountains someplace where it's pretty and cooler mm-hmm. and uh it was always the perk of doing we'd do high school camp in glorietta new mexico and we'd oh, yeah. you know it'd yeah. be the second week of july it'd be 105 back at home and mm-hmm. it'd be 60 yeah it's awesome take, take the win love glorietta free yeah. air conditioning i've actually never been to uh glorietta one day maybe i'll get it's up a good there place yeah um hiked a lot of trails there 
Yeah. Made well, a lot of mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> the Smokies are awesome in the fall. I will say one of my favorite things to do. My sister lives in Asheville. She goes hiking, and I yeah. always see her pictures, and I'm super jealous. And I used to go hiking there a lot, too, because I went to college in South Carolina. And um, But the my favorite thing to do in the Smokies is to go to the what they call the Balds. And it's not just because I, I feel kinship to them, okay? It's because, <laughs> it's because like, you, you hike, and then you just get to the top of this mountain, there's just no trees yeah, you can at see all. Everything. And you just see forever. And yeah. it's rounded, you know? So, like, it's just this weird sort of feeling where you feel like you're on top of the world. Yeah. You know, it is just such a cool vibe. And you can see for just miles. I think the other thing, too, is, like, getting to go catch a baseball game at a stadium you've never been to before. Yeah. That's, that's kind of fun. I think that's, yeah. uh, that for me, would be another... I always love the Stroh Stadium, the uh, Minute Maid Park. Yeah, well, I, yeah, we all love it because it's got a dome and you're not frying. In <laughs> well, it can open up Houston. too. If, yeah, you know. but I, I don't. I've never been to a game where it's been open though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just love the vibe. I love the, the, the like the old school vibe yeah. to this it's design. A good stadium. Do you remember what it used to be called? Oh yeah, when it first came out, Enronville. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that lasted for a year <laughs> until Enron imploded. Yeah. They yeah. used to joke and call it Ten Run Field. Because yeah. I think the left field was so short, like you just aim for that and you just, you know, you'd be done. Yeah. Good times. So would the mountains be your favorite kind of destination? You know, I'm torn. I think mountains would be ideal for me just because it, in somewhere this mountains also maybe like a nice cold lake to swim in or something, you know, mm. where you can cool off, just see some How water. How about a nice cold lake surrounded by mountains? I kind of would go with that as long as it's not a glacier lake. Where it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like and I mean like one of those one of those picturesque scapes from like Switzerland, like oh, Interlaken, yeah. you know? Like, oh, dude, Interlaken. Yeah. I've been, you know, Windows always does this cruel thing where it puts up a new picture around yeah. the world. Oh, like, yeah. oh, man, I want to go there yeah, so yeah, bad. Right? It's so mean. <laughs> I'm like, I, add that to my punch list. Yeah. I love to go to, um, you know, You'll get one answer. Uh, it's true. This it's is lightning round, Daniel. Hey, you didn't, you didn't answer. What's your yeah, so I love the mountains, but I'd probably say the beach. Um, yeah. my, my my kids love it. I love it. I, I love just the the smell. I, I the sand. It's a little annoying, but just the, a lot. The annoying. smell. The just the the sound of the ocean. Like I could listen to that all day long. Like I love it. Yeah. So see, I love the beach, but the sand. The yeah. sand. Just it just. Everywhere, y'all sound like Anakin. Yeah, I was Skywalker. about to say that. <laughs> just all right, Anakin. <laughs> all right, all right. So let's jump to the next question. Favorite road trip snack? Favorite road trip? I'd snack. have to say uh, munchies. Oh, because it Love combines munchies, all. Yeah. You get the tiny little Doritos, the, the sun chips, and the pretzels. I will say that the Doritos in there not as flavorful as normal Doritos. Maybe so. Just saying, but. Man, I'm trying to think because I'm uh, probably something like gummy, gummy sweet. Yeah, something in there. Gummy bears for me. Gummy bears. Oh, I thought you were gonna say sour. sour patch kids. Well, sour patch kids, yes. Like I want oh. a sweet and I want a sour. So like sour gummy worms or um, or gummy bears. I think maybe something, something gummy, kind of kind of sweet. Normal circumstances. If the road trip involves a Bucky's, then Bucky sours. Absolutely. Yeah. There you go. Bucky sours for sure. Yeah. Pair it with some Cheetos. Mm. Yeah, but you get all the Cheetle on you, and it's hard to steal. I thought you were going to say the the uh, Beaver Nuggets. But, <laughs> no, 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 no. no, 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 no but you've been there. They've got like their own wall of their own package candies. Oh, and, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Their sours but are really so good. It's so overpriced, though. Oh, for sure. Everything. It's outrageous. Yeah. All right. What's the next one? Love Bucky's, though. All right. Uh, who wrote these questions? All know, right. Maybe, maybe Favorite this guy. movie to watch <laughs> while while floating in a pool? If you had that option. If I had the option, I don't, I don't have a... a uh, See, here's the problem with a, a big screen pools, TV, you know? but even, like in neighborhoods and stuff. Even if I had 
a pool in which to watch a movie, it wouldn't happen because I so don't like getting in the pool. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think here's the deal. I think when I when the, that question comes up, instantly what I think of is it's got to be the Sandlot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like if you're in the pool and it's a summer and the night's going down and you're like, it's the Sandlot. The Sandlot is complete. I'm not saying that's my personal favorite. This that just seems to hit the vibe. The last yeah. time I did this, I think uh, when I actually did watch a movie in a pool, I think it was like Indiana Jones, and it was that that's was a good fun, one. but. Uh, people have said Temple of Doom. Yeah, people have said Jaws before, but yeah. Jaws. I mean, yes, but so much of that is kind of just boring. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. give me the shark. Come on, for shark. All right. some Nemo, maybe. Maybe, yeah, yeah, that'd be a good one. What uh, do you think, dude? Yeah, man, I wrote this question. <laughs> now <laughs> I don't know what I'd put for it. I think Sandlot would actually be a pretty good one, um, or maybe just oh, okay. Here you go. The day after tomorrow. Like a big epic disaster oh, film where they get the tidal wave and everyone's freezing and you yeah. know you could be chilling in the pool. It's a hot day, so like seeing something cold would make you feel nice and you know, okay, and visual right. there to help you chill off a little bit. All right, next question: What's on the car radio? What are your cartoons when you're like on a like summer on a road trip? trip. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's that's totally dependent on what this kind of podcast, mood are you Come in? on, this podcast you know, is the right answer. No, it might come be on. real, real beautiful, <laughs> stirring instrumental music. Yeah. The Lord of the Rings soundtrack might be some Need to Breathe. Mm. Might be some eighties. Yeah, somewhere in there. Need to breathe. Yeah, I, it's got a good rhythm to it. Yeah, I always love eighties music, so um, yeah. I, that might be my my first answer. But I, I would want to. I would want a diverse playlist. You know, some modern, some. You, you know, they know. have modern eighties music. Like yeah. there's current the bands ne- producing music that sounds it's, it's yeah. good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I remember in the in the early 2000s, there was a band that came out called The Darkness, and they were amazing. <laughs> they were like they wrote, it was basically an 80s hair metal band, wow. but they had hit songs on the radio. Hmm. Wow. And they actually it was it was crazy. Like Google, I believe in a thing called love, and it's like insane falsetto. <laughs> Like insane. Like so, what's your answer? Is that is the darkness your answer? No, the darkness is not my answer. Oh, okay. Uh, man, I'd have to go with like a Billy Joel soundtrack, like Billy, Billy Joel, Joel mix or something. Maybe a little bit of Elton John thrown in. I just love piano and I love just the, the rhythms and stuff. So maybe some Ben Folds, you know, uh, some of the more cleaner options in, in his repertoire. See, that's the thing. Like, what do you play in the car when yeah, your kids, kids are on car. vacation with you? Ben like, Folds you know. is not the option, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, Veggie Tales, you yeah. know, yeah, Ugh. or um. This is this is true. All right, next question. Best way to beat the heat? Air conditioning. <laughs> yes. Or move to another state like Alaska. Gosh. Yeah. Don't don't play f- football in junior high and high school. Yeah. Two days, man. They'll yeah. kill you. I hate the heat. <laughs> Always. Says the guy wearing long sleeves in summer. Yeah, but my <laughs> office is cold. Yeah. My house is cold. The store is cold. Uh, I would say the best way to beat the heat is make, making sure you are close to a Sonic. And, uh, oh, there you, and go. you know, on the app, you can get happy hour all the time. We had two and one burned down, you know. Oh, so, okay, so you're, you're beating yeah. the heat. You're going to Sonic to hit a slush. What slush yeah. are you getting? Um, so that's like a future question here, but I'll just go ahead and answer it. Uh, strawberry limeade slush. Strawberry right. or lemonade, slush. strawberry lemonade slush, but I would li- the limeade's good too. Okay, yeah. all right. It's got the got real strawberries in the bottom. And yeah, very nice. So, very nice. so you can so skip to the drink question, but you, you know. well, that best drink could be anything. I was very specific, man. You're going to Sonic, hitting yeah. something up. What are you getting? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm getting. What about you guys? 
Beating he, man, his, his answer is, it's hot from Eric AC Island to AC Island, right? Just quickly get from... Yeah, just stay out of the heat. That's <laughs> yeah, how you just, beat it. Just you don't go in Avoid it. it, you know. <laughs> For me, man, I love... One, we like to go to our neighborhood pool, which is fun. But we'll also... One of my favorite things to do is find, like, one of those really good, like, Central Texas Springs. And finding one that's shaded where you can like be in the shade and get like nice cold 60 mm-hmm. to 70 degree, like clean, fresh water. And those spots are hard to find sometimes. A lot of times they get pretty overrun, but man, it can just be, it just feels so good to be outside in the cold water, in the shade. And the great thing about central Texas is it's not that humid usually. And so if you're in the shade and you're in cold water, like it's pretty comfortable. It can be good. Mm-hmm. So Wes is like, nope. Not the part of Central Texas I'm from, but I I realize it's a little different. (laughs) If you go out to the hill country, it's a lot drier. You know. All right, so let's let's go to the next question. You're the best drink when you're hot. Mm. I've answered it. You guys give me your answers. You know, okay, I think the like the obvious answer is like. You can't tea. ever go wrong. No, <laughs> uh, no not boba tea. Always uh, the boba tea. The obvious answer is like ice cold water, right? Like yeah. you go outside, you're doing lawn work. You come in, hit that ice cold water. You're, I mean, maybe that's the old like football player out in nope. summer. But here's what I say. So let's exclude that because water is like the thing you need to live. Yeah. Uh, I think anything lemonade, whether that's a slush, yeah. whether mm-hmm. that's real good, like solid cold lemonade. Uh, yeah, Powerade Gatorade no, well, at the right time. Um, Propel. I've always loved Propel, Propel because it's not super sweet. It's like the medium between water and Gatorade. And you get those little packets in the, for the water bottles, and they were great. You remember when vitamin water was a big deal? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's when I was in college, man. They would come and do free promos and pass stuff out like crazy. Yeah, that was <laughs> big. I remember that. Well, my favorite drink right now to beat the heat is, so we have the drink subscription to... Um, Panera Bread. And right now it's free for the summer, by the way. A drink subscription? Yeah, so you get you pay like a flat fee every month and you can have as many drinks as you want. Like every two hours you get a new drink. It's amazing. Yeah. And uh, right now it's free wow. for the summer. Not to do like some Panera Bread commercial. We're not being paid by Panera Bread. But, you know, you know the more you know. Um, but my favorite drink there is the papaya green tea. It's papaya green tea. It's like not super sweet. And I put a little bit of the mango um, lemonade in it. And it's, it's bueno. Uh-huh. Really, really good. Cool. All right. Things to know. Okay. Uh, least favorite thing about the summer. I think you guys have already answered that. Um, yeah. Humidity. I will say, I'll get more specific on that. The car that's been sitting in the, the parking lot for an hour, simmering and just turning into a god awful sauna. <laughs> See, where I grew up in College Station, the humidity is so bad. I don't know what's worse the car that's like that, or the fact that to walk the 10 feet from your front door to the car We're so in the spoiled. heat with the yeah. humidity, you're already drenched by the time you reach the car door. I don't know which is worse. I feel like this is a first world problems ramp we need to yeah. go off on. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I, I just hate that the summer is it's just flies like it is yeah. seems so short uh that that's probably how it is i'm i think you're talking about literal flies oh hey here thought, we go i'll give you i'll give you another one too the flies uh, are really bad now mosquitoes yeah uh, okay, okay mosquitoes yeah mosquitoes are weird here in central texas because you don't know it until you get bit they're mm. so small and so quiet you're like where'd that come from they're like these little lone rangers you have, have you ever <laughs> seen a flock of mosquitoes before yeah. dead grass yeah. Dead grass in summer with sticker yeah. burrows when you want to go outside and get your yeah. buddies and play. Right. You know, I don't I just. It's really bad for the dogs. Like we let our dog fluff another. Yes, fire fire ant beds. I don't know. Oh, I just, yeah. My mind's spinning uh, with all the things that I used to endure as a yeah, uh, junior high and high school kid. And yeah. There you go. That's mo- most of my dislikes of summer have nothing to do with <laughs> being a grown up. They have to do with scarred, scarred memories from. But it's good childhood. to get it out and talk about it. It's refreshing. It's, you know, invigorating to you know, unload that. Anyways, that was the longest lightning round ever, yeah, but we've long. made it. So. But our answers, our responses were quick. Just our follow-up was lengthy. 
it's a long lightning rod. Yeah. Favorite yeah. thing about summer though, as a youth pastor, was that it was summer. Summer was always Oh fun. yeah. Just, the stuff that you got to youth college ministry yeah. both, the stuff you got to do and the relationship you got to form summer was yeah. always the best. Yep. It's a busy time, but it really is a fun time as well. Just without all the all the things competing, you yeah. know, like go hang out with a kid and go get lunch, not have to worry about school and yeah. the extracurricular stuff. So that's true. All yeah. right. That's good stuff. I need, we need to uh, wrap this up and head to our next segment. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with two more questions in the 10 questions every Christian should answer. All right, we are back and we are tackling two more questions in our series that 10 questions every Christian should answer. So, Pastor Wes, what are our questions we're going to do today? Yeah, well, we're going to dive, you know, we're going to dive right into the deep end here and we're going <laughs> to go with, uh, you know, 10 questions every believer, believer must answer. And uh, question number three total, but question number one for today, uh, where did the universe come from? The fundamental first question of a worldview, how did we get here? Yeah, kind of key, right? Mm-hmm. Where did it come from? And obviously you got a variety of of uh, answers that the world has postulated and throws in our faces. Uh, probably the, the biggest would be uh, from the world would be the world. The universe came from uh, a completely natural run process in human life through evolution, Yeah, uh, which is, and in their eyes, backed up by fact, but obviously we wouldn't. We would stand there. We're, I think some of the key things where we would disagree with someone who would say, "Hey, the, the the universe was created by natural means." Can, like you said, is that they say it's always been here. It's contracting, and expanding, contracting, expanding, and just kind of perpetuates. It's eternal, so to speak. The universe is eternal, um, or that it it created itself. And like, well, how did it create itself? You know, in Richard Hawkins. Richard Dawkins, Richard Dawkins, 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 Dawkins. Yeah. Richard Dawkins. Please say we don't have an answer for that, but we're working on it. And it's like, yeah. um, but you say <laughs> our answer is bad. You don't even have anything, you yeah. know. It's like, come on. Um, but they'll say evolution is provable, and intelligent design is not. So I think one, I wouldn't even think that evolution really has any answers in terms of like the formation of the universe, but more the formation of life. So I mean, what would I mean, I'll do it to you again, man. (laughs) What would you tell a student that says, hey, Matt, I heard in school that evolution is provable. Like, we actually have evidence that evolution is provable. What what would you tell that student? But we we don't. I mean, we yeah. we have so <laughs> so many gaps, you. <laughs> so many gaps in the the fossil record, and and um, you know, there is there is no way that you can viably prove that evolution is a fact. And I think for me, when I think about this question, even as as people may go at it with, you know, where do we come from, and evolution can prove it, but even if it did, which it doesn't, there, there's a question of, but why? Like, yeah. what is the, what is our purpose? You know, what? Even if if you hold evolution and you say this is how we got here, it doesn't answer the bigger question. Like, why are we here? Yeah. And and who? And I know they would say, you know, no one made us. Yeah, we we were, we just happened and and we evolved over time. But but for what purpose? And and is that really how we want to live life? Not having meaning and not having purpose. So, I mean, even uh, if evolution did work, right? Yeah. Well, who created this process? Like where did this yeah. process come from? And, and does the rea- new sustains it. The reality yeah. is even if you back up and attempt to uh trick it back to Darwin, um 
even evolution is an attempt at at a logical non-divine stirring so it's still trying to get at a logical there's how, how is this progress it's not even then it's not not chance and i mean exactly we've got we don't have um you don't have the transitional fossils yeah. you don't have the reality is logically the only way you transition is by mutation and when we see species mutate those are are by default weaker not fittest right and and they don't live off and there's so many issues there the flip side is when you really do the digging and you start looking we just did this by the way we did this um a little bit of this um couple weeks probably about, probably about two months ago in our bibleology series on wednesday nights you can find the link on the website but we go through and there i mean there's so many just scientific facts about the nature of you know here's all there's 150 different fine-tuned mm-hmm. uh, elements that have to be present for a planet to sustain life and the odds of a single planet having those the odds are greater than the amount of planets estimated to be in the entire universe. Literally astronomical. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it's basically impossible when you, um, when you. I think that. I think, in fact, I think that was the example where we talked about the odds are like one in ten to the fortieth power. What is that visualized? Well, it's the entire North American continent from Alaska, from the tip of Canada down to the Panama Canal, covered in dimes. Uh, from here all the way to the moon. Yeah. Repeated uh, it was like a hundred times. You and, choose you know, one of those dimes. One that's is the red odds and, yeah, of, yeah. You, yeah. of life ever starting. So, you know, there's just the reality is there are so many different fine tuned, unique. I mean, the, the role, the, um, uh, the relationship of electromagnetism uh, mag- uh, to gravity, the relationship of the fact that even when you rewind, you see that whatever language you want to call it, if you want to go big bang or in the beginning, God spoke, whatever you want to go, like their moment, there was nothing. And then, boom, there was something. Yeah. And that something, that explosion of something was not an explosion like a Michael Bay movie where it's just chaotic. <laughs> it was a fine-tuned, precise, and, and basically instantaneously the four fundamental laws of the universe were set. I mean, there's so yeah. much to point us towards. And that was the idea of the great scientists of old is God is a designer, so his yeah. creation is going to have design behind it. We see design, and, and that's, uh, that's that was deep a big behind thing from the, Thomas Aquinas in the movement from the Dark Ages into the really the renaissance idea was man theology was the foundation of science if god is a god of order then creation must be a, a orderly as well and we should be able to figure it out and then soon you know instead of god being the measure of all things man became the measure of all things well if we yeah. can figure it all out then really it's really about us when from anyway yeah and on our sheet here it's you know one of the one of the rebuttals would be intelligent design's not testable i guess i would disagree with that intelligent design postulates that there are established absolutes and i think it is testable it's how we sent man to the moon mm. yeah and we did we sent man to the moon on math mm. and, 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 and we were actually wrong about that you know you know the whole thing about the moon dust right so the moon they oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah i do yeah I know what the moon was supposed to be like estimated you know millions and millions of years old and have a certain amount of like dust they made those little long spires in the bottom of the moon landed be like six feet long so they expected it to kind of sink about six feet into all this moon dust and there's only like i think like six inches or something yeah and so this little spire is like bro- broken well, i just mean i mean it. all of the all the all the stuff that went into how do you get a rocket how do you how do you hit the right place in orbit how do you hit the right place gotcha. in the, gravity all, all of that is is math i mean it's not like they got in the ship and looked out the window and went all right we're going to drive this thing like we drive on the road like you know it is testable because 
we're able to do things and expect things and count on things. Well, where do those laws come from? Like we, you see code, computer code. You don't think, oh, well, that's what's crazy now. AI can write a lot of different crazy sure. things, but someone had to write yeah, the AI. Yeah, yeah, you know. So who, you know, so it even still goes like, back to design. You don't ever see something with design and go, oh, it just that made by itself. chance made itself. Yeah, it, yeah. It's yep. always someone. Uh, you know, no one looks at Stonehenge and goes, wow. What a mysterious, naturally forming. It's clear that it was designed. You know, <laughs> right, like yeah. it's. I think uh, what's interesting about intelligence design, it really aligns itself one with reality and how we all understand and really truly know how things actually work. Yeah. You know, we we look at the world, we look at beauty, and go, "There's intentionality behind that." And so, um, I mean, just realized I'm going to pause this here for a second. Our video is not recording for some reason. You've run out of space, but we still got audio going. Okay. We're going to pause it here for one second. I'm going to figure out what's going on, and we're going to come right back to this discussion. Hey, welcome back. Sorry for the technical difficulty. We like to keep it uh, keep it honest and authentic here. It's uh, on me. I forgot to delete one the job. <laughs> one job. Multiple jobs. So, no, actually, we just wanted to fit a second uh, second commercial brought to you by. I don't know who's filling in, but anyways, no. Panera. Hey, so we're we're bringing you back. We're talking about the 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 fact that how, how, we got to answer this question: How did the universe? How did the where did the universe come from? How did we get here? And here's here's at the core. Here's why this is so important, because how we got here speaks to whether or not not whether or not it does whether or not but but even bigger it speaks to what is our purpose yeah. why are we here uh if there if it's all just truly a matter of absolute chance then there is no purpose everything's completely meaningless and, the- and then you start going in and you go and and there's no real distinction the only reason we as humans have the power we have is because we we hit the top of the food chain, but there's nothing inherently special or sacred about mm. that. There's all sorts of other ramifications. That's why it's no surprise that when when the theory of evolution went beyond just biology and, and you begin to see not just Darwinian evolution in biology, but you begin to see Darwinian evolution in ethics and sociology. And I mean, that's where you get things like eugenics and even yeah. uh, things like uh, the Holocaust and, and, and various genocides and and so uh, you see this reality. So the reality is this, as we kind of move forward in the conversation, is there is strong, and we haven't gone through all of it here because we're not trying to do a whole segment, just simply the evidence is strong. Evolution is still a theory by scientific definition. When you start to really look in at things, even some of the most um, adamant atheists, uh, Anton Antony Flew was one of the great ones at the, at the, at the turn of the century, who, after studying DNA, basically count and said, "I'm not. I'm not at the point of of declaring faith in Christ. But what I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt is there's no possible way the complexity of DNA exists by chance. Someone wrote it. Yeah, like even Francis Crick, the guy who one of the guys who helped discover DNA, was like, "This is code. We don't have an evolution. Does not have an answer for this." Yeah. So his response, his theory for how we got our DNA here, is what they call panspermia, the idea that another life form somewhere else seeded this planet. Mm. Actually, in fact, the movie Mars, uh, I think it was called Mission to Mars, actually posited that theory. Like our life came from some advanced civilization on Mars and maybe somehow evolution actually worked there. <laughs> it's like, well, where does it end? Like, okay, who made the aliens that made the aliens? Who made the aliens that made the aliens that made the aliens? And where does that end, you know? Well, and you've got, I mean, ultimately, again, it's it's the world you got one of two options. This, this kind of ties into the second question. You got, the scripture says you got one of two options. You either recognize in creation 
the handiwork of the divine, and you begin to respond and seek out truth, or you see creation and you begin to worship creation and model the divine in your image. And so even whether it's things like those movies, whether it's even newer theories that are postulating out there in some corners, not just of things like Marvel, but for real of the universe of, of actual multiverse theories yeah. of the reality, all of it is trying to, to, to ultimately formulate and, and take how we got here and fashion our own purpose rather than, wait a minute, if someone designed us, Get to know the creator. Get to know the Does designer. Have a design then the designer, for me. designer has a purpose behind their design yeah. at minimum. Yeah. Yeah. And you go beyond there, and you know, this would take us into theological categories of general revelation. That's why it's not enough to save a person. It would move us to special revelation, which is the next question, is the Bible reliable? And the message of the Bible is there is an intelligent designer who designs you. He has given you a purpose, and here's the even better news. He wants to actually know you and you to know him because he wants that purpose fully fleshed out in your life from now into all eternity. Right. You know, it's the implications are just what people try to run from, right? If there Absolutely. is a God, then I'm accountable to something. Right. I, I can't write the rules for my own life. I can't decide what's right and wrong. I can't decide morality for myself. It all becomes incredibly uh, relative. And there um, are things that we have to acknowledge that we just can't answer, questions we can't answer, things we can't explain. And that's and that bugs us because yeah. like we, we want to know like how and, and who and why. And it's like, well, okay, God offers the answer to that no, 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 no. Like I have to be able to explain it. I have to, no, be able to you test don't. it. <laughs> I think it's some of the, the things that people have problems with, with Christianity. Like, well, you can't observe it. You can't test it. You can't prove it. Well, no more so than evolution, but at least ours is philosophically more sound and logically more sound and seems to reflect reality in a way that is a lot more tangible. Um, but I think of one of the accusations too, they give us is that, Hey, Christians, y'all just tend to separate science and faith. Like, sure. you know, what would you say to someone who is a believer? Just, you know, I don't need science. I don't need all this stuff. I just, you know, I just believe it. Is that a, a correct attitude or is there some kind of other middle ground? You guys no, think? I think the reality is, uh, you know, somewhat, obviously the Bible in one sense is not a science textbook in the sense that you pick up a biology textbook. The whole purpose of that biology textbook is to talk about biology. It's to talk about things at a cellular level. It's to talk about uh, mitosis and meiosis. It's to talk about um, single-celled organisms and and complex structures. It's to talk, it, right, it talks about it's to talk about uh, the cardiovascular system and the, the 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 respiratory system and all those things. Uh, in that sense, no, the Bible is not a scientific textbook. The primary purpose of Scripture is to reveal God Himself to us, to to show us what He expects. Who is He? What is He like? What does He do? How is He acting? And in that, to to show that we have fallen short, that that's why we are struggling and seeking purpose. We're out of alignment, but but He has a plan of redemption. And and do you see the gospel message? Jesus Christ, His life, death, resurrection, uh, the salvation that's by grace through faith in Him. You see the fact that this is not it that there's something more and he is returning and he right like it's primarily the, the special revelation of god to us but that doesn't mean that scripture doesn't make scientific claims yeah and so i mean in the beginning god created is a scientific claim in a sense and so the reality is as a believer to go and say well scripture doesn't say anything scientific because it's got poetry and it's got some it's got some miracles that can be well listen a miracle, by definition, excludes itself from science. I mean, right. by definition, science can't. Well, see, I would do argue it. in some ways that miracles are not outside of outside of human science. 
you know, out, but not outside of what God understands. Like science is a process of knowing, right? So a miracle is something that well, is science beyond. is the process of observing, testing, hypothesizing on right. nature, which is why a miracle is, and by definition, science has to be repeatable. Science is natural philosophy, which is a category under a much larger umbrella. So, uh, sure, I mean, yeah, God's got knowledge. God has the power. He can act, but. For, from our our, def, our definition of the science we're talking about, it is outside. It's outside the scope. Yep. It can't be. It's magic. Because we can't do it. Yeah. We can't perform it. Uh, we can't cause it to happen. And we have no control over God yeah. who acts freely. And so, uh, you know, so so on one side, the believer that would say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let science dictate how I interpret Scripture. That's not a helpful thing. But the flip side to the believer, it says, oh, I just take it all in kind of blind faith, and science is absolutely irrelevant. Well, that's not true either. In fact— Because yeah. when you do a deep dive into science, you're like, wow. Yeah. Like, look, at how, look at how we're made. Look at, you know, doing that deep dive into to biology and seeing that— the way we're wired, the way we're made, the way we function, and we can, it, like, well, the further who, science, someone had in, to do that. Yeah, yeah. the further science digs into the heart of creation, they're going to see the heart of the creator. Right. I mean, that's the beauty of it. You know, Hugh Ross used to say, and I don't fully agree with the full extent of this philosophy, he said, good science, good faith. I mean, he said, good faith, good science. And I was like, okay, faith can, your, your science, your good understanding where science is can bolster your faith. But ultimately, our faith is not in what science gets right and what it gets wrong. Our faith is in the reliability of who God is, the reliability of Scripture, and faith can help. And science, archaeology, things we discover can go, wow, can affirm and can validate what we already know and give us some, like, data points to say, hey, see, the Bible actually knows what it's talking about. Yeah. See, they, the they Red Sea Crossing actually have, exactly, they complement each other. So mm -hmm. I don't necessarily agree with Hugh Ross' statement, good science, good faith, but I think what he was getting at was, Listen, if you understand where science's place is, it can be a good thing. And it can help yeah, encourage our faith. It's a great segue to understand for all of us. Uh, science is not inherently good or bad. It yeah. can be used for good or bad. Science is inherently limited. It can't answer every question. Uh, even take just human things. Science can't explain love. Science can't explain altruism. Although they have tried. Uh, sure. Um, or if you accept what the explanation is, you have to really reject what you, most common people would think of as love or right. think of as altruism. So one understands science is inherently limited. So the data of science can be corrupted or misunderstood or misinterpreted. Uh, we don't have access to all truth. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we should be anti-science, but we should see science as a tool and where science falls out of line with scripture, we side with the Lord's word. So this is the transition here, which is the challenge that is you're going to have a hard time siding with Scripture if you don't know, is the Bible reliable? And that's and that's the last question for today. Is the Bible yep. reliable? And we may not linger here as long, only partially because we just really spent about seven weeks. Um, the Bibleology series, again, you can hit back, not trying to make a, a, a plug for it, but if you want more, more content on that, we spent seven weeks on Wednesday nights here walking through really this yeah. question, is the Bible reliable? Uh, because ultimately, if the Bible's reliable, it's kind of, this is an analogy I would always use with students, Matt. I would, mm -hmm. I would say, um, if right now we get a phone call, our phones start buzzing, there's a wild, there's a wildfire, it's a mile <coughs> away, it's 100 feet high, and it's going to be here in 10 minutes. Either objectively, dependent, independent of our opinion, that wildfire is there or not. Subjectively, we have the choice to believe that phone call or not. Mm-hmm. Regardless, if that wildfire is real, it doesn't matter what our response is. If we go, ah, that's what what a prank. That's that's really funny. And we stay here in ten minutes. We're going to be ash. Mm -hmm. 
Or we can heed that word and go, it's the same thing with Scripture. If Scripture, either script, either God is God or God is not, but if God is God, then His word is reliable, and if His word is reliable, it doesn't mean what our opinion is, and it's got major fallout. So, is the Bible reliable? Uh, we got we got some some common uh, challenges to that. What, what do we got here? What do y'all we got on the page? Well, one of the first ones is the Bible has morally objectionable content. So the first two issues with that is one, who decides what's moral, right? So you say, oh, the Bible has things that promotes things that are morally objectionable. Usually it's a lot of, it's politically incorrect things, maybe about roles of various different people and whatnot. But we were actually talking about this some with our young adults because we're talking about numbers. And (laughs) there's some stories that are pretty hairy in the the Torah in the first five books of the Bible. It's like, okay, guys, y'all know how God chose the Levites to be his chosen people? No, well, well, when everybody was partying at the golden calf and Moses drew a line in sand and said, everybody who's with God on this side, uh, stay with me. And everyone who was good came on the side with Moses and most of the Levites came on that side and they gave time for everybody who was doing all the kinds of crazy things, worshiping the golden calf and the Levites in zeal for God and God's holiness went crossover and killed every single person that was still worshiping the golden calf. And God said, high five, you're now my chosen tribe. You go, okay, wow, God takes sin very seriously. But someone who does not understand who God is and does not understand that because he is a God of love and takes things that are destructive and, and evil on a very serious nature and very just, they will look at that story and go, wow, God is evil. How would he choose a tribe to be a special people and anoint them because they went and just slaughtered a bunch of people uh, out of zeal for him? That seems so narcissistic and selfish. Um, but they well, and some of that too, when you're talking context. about stuff with Israel's tribes and things there, you're also getting into the unique, there is a uniqueness to the relationship oh, of sure. God to geopolitical Israel. You know, I, I think of some things like some of the, some of the conquest where Israel goes in and, and conquers, you know, uh, various peoples that were inhabiting the land and, oh my goodness, how, how, how could that be just part of the challenge too, is not just who decides moral but it's also where we we have a tendency to read always read scripture and really anything from our personal view. Yep. So right, it's like nobody really struggles with the fact that the world stood up to Nazi Germany and went in and yeah, in that war we there a lot of Nazi soldiers died, men, women, children. No one struggles with that because you saw the evil. Yeah. Vice versa, if you're living back in some of those times, those peoples, those peoples were not peace-loving peoples. No, they were doing um, some incredibly fact, that's, wicked things. That's the struggle right now that that Jonah is having as we're walking through Jonah on Sunday mornings. That's the inherent struggle with Jonah. Mm. Is you want me to go preach and call the Ninevites to repentance, knowing that if they're probably going to repent, and you're going to show your mercy to them. When do you know how wicked these? You know, I mean, it's it's that same tension. So I mean, these are well, people that were doing. I think you kind of alluded to this, like, hey, the things they were doing were so bad, I can't even mention them in church. Yeah, yeah, yeah and and scripture mentions some of that, but it, it, in other places it doesn't. You know, and you're just thinking, wow, why would why would God allow his people to do that? But we forget that you know the the nation of Israel was to be a holy set apart nation, used by God to be a tool of his judgment and to help to not just go in and, and Hey, steal this land, but Hey, you are my people. You represent me. And yeah, we don't always see the full story about what's, what has this nation been doing? What have they been involved in to know that? Well, there's so much, I mean, like yeah. there's a little statement God makes to Abraham. I think it's in Genesis 15 where he says, basically your, your people are going to come back to this land 
inhabitants. I think it's the Amorites. Um, but he says, it's, it's, I think the statement is, but the time, the, the time of the fullness of their sin has not yet come. Basically, mm-hmm. meaning that God was giving them, and it would be another four hundred some odd years. Yeah, that That's God a lot is of grace. that God is giving that people a chance to respond. But because God also sees and knows all things, he knows they won't respond. But God also shows a lot of patience with people that we often miss in the pages. Well, yeah, and the story of Jonah, like the fact that, you know, for Nineveh, he was actually sending Jonah to to proclaim uh, who he was, but also to let them know you're about to be judged. But he gave them a chance. Like he gave them a chance to repent. And that's why he was sending Jonah, and, and that, that irked Jonah. I think it was really fascinating kind of sobering for us today, especially as the sort of Supreme Court stuff is looming. When you see these sort of patterns of God's judgment in the Old Testament, he would be long-suffering, right? Sort of the language that's used for the kind of injustices that are happening, the lack of worship, especially with the Israelites. The fact they weren't worshiping, and they were doing idol worship. They were doing, there wasn't justice in the courts, things that the prophets kept bringing up. But when they started to sacrifice their own children to the gods. Yeah. That's where you see oh, yeah. this massive line in the sand that God says, all right, Northern kingdom, you're done. You know, I'm done. That's where, that's where the major line was for God. When a culture sees is so far gone, it ceases to value human life. That's where God's like, okay, I've put up with you guys long enough, but now it's judgment day, which is incredibly sobering for us as a country. Um, I've always kind of looked at it and go, man, I, I hate it when people compare, draw parallels between America and Israel. I think it's just, it's just not there. It's, it's not sure. right, but it, it reveals God's character and his value for human life. And I think that matters. Yeah. So the other, other two con, uh, common, these probably even more common than the morally objectionable thing is, is most people will, will use this because they've heard something and, and they'll throw it out, but it's either the Bible has errors and mistakes or, and the kind of time to it, the Bible has stories that are made up or stolen from other places and, Again, t- man, we, we impact that thoroughly over over uh, the Bibleology series. But sufficient say is is I guess from my perspective is most of the time when I hear that and you start to go okay, well show me show me what errors and mistakes you're talking about. Most people don't have any to point to, mm-hmm. or, or they're they're inconsistent. They're they're things that are easily 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 explained. You know, yeah. it's like you just didn't do your homework. Yeah. You know, if, if they if one gospel says they went to Jerusalem, another says he went to Judea. Well, they're both. It's like me saying I'm going to Dallas and I'm going to Texas. Yeah, well, we got both two, true. and you got different people that are sharing it from their perspective. Yeah. You know. The, they the complement each other writers, a lot of times. Yeah. You know, and there's common things like, well, the Bible has all these, you know, there's thousands and thousands of manuscripts and there's differences between them. Yeah. And, and if you study those differences, like 76% of them are uh, punctuation and, and simple sp- spelling errors that mm-hmm. negate themselves. Another 20, uh, slightly less than 24% of them are the difference of the gospel of God versus the gospel of Christ. Well, God and Christ are the same. So Mm -hmm. uh, less than 1% are anything in terms of like, well, this manuscript has this extra four verses and this manuscript doesn't. But in no case are any of that less than 1%. In no case is there anything contradictory. Even some of the most ardent uh, liberal scholars against Scripture will tell you there is nothing that compromises any core doctrine of scripture in that less than 1%. And so there's no um, doctrine at stake, which I think people don't realize like, okay, well, there's some contradictions in saying there's, there was two, one gospel says there's two blind men, but another one, there's one blind man. Well, 
that's why why maybe only one blind man really mattered to their perspective. You know, it just that yeah. blind man talked or whatever. But it's those inconsistent those those differences. They can complement each other because there's different perspectives. You know, but it doesn't mean there's any doctrine at stake. Well, you know, what you're talking instance. about those differences aren't in those one that less than one percent. That less than one percent is where there's. You know, like one manuscript of John doesn't have the John so the adulterous woman. Copies. Gotcha. One doesn't have. You're talking about things like um, one of the gospels says that Judas went and hung himself, and I think it's Acts talks about that Jesus burst forth from the bowels, and you go, ah, look, you got two different books that give. No, actually, Judas went and hung himself, and no one knew he hung himself, so he hung there, and the body did what the body does when it's hanging for a long time, and the bowels, the intestines, with the gas got trapped, and it. And you know, what you're talking about is is fuller you're getting information from different perspectives yeah. that when both go together it's not contradictory at all it it actually is completely and totally it's compatible the, it's just part of the story it's yeah. just you the at different angles picture. of the same story yeah. you know and um there's also an example of paul's conversion in the beginning of acts i think acts 9 i want to say he talks about it and says no one no one heard anything you know um but in the and i'm not quoting it really well here but by acts 22 he says that they heard a voice. Well, that seems sort of inconsistent. Well, the, if you look at the Greek language, the way it really describes it is that it's indecipherable. You know, like, oh yeah, they didn't hear anything because maybe they heard some sounds, but there was no decipherable language. Only Paul really heard what Jesus yeah. was speaking to him. So, I mean, here's the reality. When you go through and you do your homework and, and, and really look through, is the Bible reliable? You find that time and time again, archaeology backs up what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Ah, we haven't discovered. Oh, wait, we just discovered it backs up what the Bible says. Oh, wait, yeah. when you do time, time time, and time again, when you look at the man, there is no other document in human history that we have the kind of manuscript evidence for like Scripture. Not only that, but even some of the common deals of, well, the oldest Isaiah document you have, that was that was from 200 years after Christ. Yeah, until the Dead Sea Scrolls, and we found one that's 200, 300 years older than Christ, and it's word for word the same. That's a game changer because um, those actual physical copies, one predate Christ, yep. but they also are hyper-specific references, Very. like talking about the virgin birth, yep. uh, I think gambling for his clothes, and how much he was sold for from by Judas. I mean, really, so we, those are things that are outside of Jesus' control. Like, he can't control Judas betraying him and selling him for 30 pieces of silver. Like, he can't. You know, he can't control soldiers gambling for his clothes as he's dying on the cross. Yeah, and obviously, there's just, you, you go through and you find the evidence. The evidence is just so there. That the Bible is reliable, that Je- what Jesus claimed about himself, what the Bible claims about itself. You see fulfilled prophecy, which should seek something to the prophecy that's there that has yet to be fulfilled, which should mean, oh, wait, if every if we got a thousand batting average on fulfilled property, we should <laughs> yeah. probably pay attention. Just a little bit. It's going to happen. So wait, hold on real quick. What would you say to somebody who says, listen, a lot of the stories in the Old Testament were basically cribbed off of other ancient stories? Like they, they took the Old Testament cribs off of other ancient stories we find out there and they, they hijacked them and sort of turned them into their own. What would you say to that? Because that is a common criticism that's out there about the scripture. Yeah, I mean, I think first, my, my thing with all, any criticism like that is, okay, well, show me. And 90% of people are going to go, oh, okay, well, I, I can't show you. I read it somewhere on the uh, internet. You know, I, I've seen some of that. And, and usually I feel like probably that's a little bit maybe around like the flood narrative or certain imagery. Which came um, first is the question I have to ask. You're assuming the Bible came yeah. second. And I think you've got when you look at it and I think when you when you do the homework and you dive in, one, I think then you go, OK, well, show if, if they bring up a specific case then you got to dive into that specific case, not just, 
you know, dive in, look at that tree in the forest and, and figure out what's going on there. But I think what you find is, um, the, the old Testament stories, um, I have probably not encountered as many people saying the whole story is riffed off as much as I've seen people say, well, you know, the other cultures around Israel would have had these ideas that Israel would, that would have been meaningful in how, how this was written. Yeah. And I, I just push back on that because the whole idea of the people of Israel from God is that they be set apart, which means that the, especially if the writers of scripture I'm not saying they, they wouldn't use what's culturally around them because I think God did use those things, but yeah. I also don't think they're going to go, let's try to make God sound like the the the, the, the mm-hmm. pagan stories of Ur. You know, I think instead what you find is you find in Scripture the actual base story that then all of these others flow to out take, of. Yeah. And well, there's so many things are scattered. In, in that God hijacks. You know, talk about the sacrificial system. I mean, ancient people sacrificed things, but they just did all kinds of crazy other stuff. And instead of sacrificing, eventually your your firstborn or whatever, it's like this is all you have to give. And gotten getting really specific because you understood this is how they related and understood the divine and to understand forgiveness. And he redeems it and finds a way to give them freedom. See, I would go further than that. I I think it's the other way around. God sacrifices animals in Genesis three to cover their cover their nakedness. Yeah, there's sacrifices going on with Cain and that's Abel. That's the whole that's story. So I think you can look at it. Both I think ways. those other cultures, their sacrifice mm. is misguided leftover remnants of the fact that from the beginning sacrifice yeah. was necessary. No, that's uh, a good point because you go to you know uh, Cain and Abel. They're sacrificing these. Where did they get yeah. that idea from? Well, the assumption is they got this idea from. I mean, we would assume they, God kind of gave them some instructions. Well, I on think this. the Book of Hebrews makes that clear. Yeah, uh, the, the book of Hebrews make clear that there has to be shedding of blood for forgiveness of sin. There has to be. So yeah. though we don't see the full-blown Old Testament covenant law sacrificial mm-hmm. system until Sinai, because that's the, the real point of, okay, we're going to make you a geopolitical nation with all these structures. Go all the way back in Genesis. Sacrifice yeah. is there from the beginning. Uh, as far, as see, from as the beginning of when things sin back comes. to what the intent was so. and getting a lot more specific about it. So, that's so I, th- I think when you go back and look in there, and it's why it's so pivotal, too, in, in, in arguments that are out there, it's so pivotal that we have a proper understanding of Genesis 1 through 11, and we hold the line that there is a historical, literal reality in Genesis 1 through 11 and not kind of capitulate to some of the other things that are out there. Of, ah, it's, it's all a metaphor, or it's, it's um, you know, allegory, or it's, yeah. it's poetry, or it's a mixture of, or it's, it's myth. The book but, of Job gets kind of complicated, though, because it's considered wisdom literature, not historical narrative so what do you you know someone might argue hey the book of job is not actual an actual event a real person it's someone invented because all the conversations the yahweh speeches all that kind of stuff were written to kind of convey and deal with a difficult deal how would you explain the book of job to somebody well i think with job i mean one chapters one and two in the very last chapter are are historical yeah like those, there was a man named Job. He he lived in the land. These are yep. like it doesn't present it. You don't get into the the dialogues until chapter three, um, and so I think uh, you know, sure, could God rebuke me one day and say, hey, yeah, it was all, but but that doesn't line up with the rest of Scripture. In fact, when you see those kind of books written, that are that are, um. It's not really true, like it's conveying truth, but like the story is not really true. Mm-hmm. Those are those are things that the Jews said weren't on the same level as Scripture, and and mm-hmm. Job was in this category, not this category. Yeah. So, um, I think there's a variety of ways from how Job was viewed um, uh, in the canon to uh, just the fact that even chap the first two chapters in the last chapter are very much um, um, history, positing a yeah, literal uh, historical uh, story. Job was 
obviously a historical person, you know, and that's such a weird piece of, it's such a weird book in the Bible, right? Because you have this real historical person. We're not given any historical context for when it happens. Like the story of Job is probably incredibly ancient. Um, and then you have all these, like this dialogue for chapters and chapters and chapters. And you, which came first, the story, or is someone there just writing down all these conversations? Or did God reveal this to somebody? And do, we don't really know. We just know that it's one, it's accurate. We know that the story you know, it happened and it, it, at least the scribes themselves who compiled all these things, there was this tradition and this history of this being a reliable, actually verifiable story. Um, but the fact that the way it's written, it's very different than the other historical documents in the, in the new old Testament. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, and it's you can find that same structures. story in other ancient near Eastern, um, cultures around the area too. So the question is, which came first did, um, did is, is the, uh, the is Job the real character? Which well, we would argue yes. Here's, and those here's ultimately the thing too. The question isn't even which came first. The question is which is accurate. Right. Mm-hmm. And the ultimate question we're getting at here is, is the Bible reliable? And ultimately, if we're going to dive in Second uh, Timothy 3.16, every word of Scripture is breathed out by God. If God is perfection, then God cannot breathe out imperfection. So that the word that we have, the Bible being around from a theological perspective, doesn't even matter which came first. Ultimately, that's which is actually accurate to reality. And so right. we go, yeah, well, Job's accurate to reality because it's God who breathed it. True. Um, and God possesses the ability to do that. Now, we can get into all those other fine-tuned things, but... That would take us beyond the time of today's podcast. This so. is true. <laughs> <laughs> what we can, what we can be sure of, God created the universe out of an overwhelming heart of love, mm-hmm. desiring to make image bearers, human beings, men and women in his image, to be in a relationship with him, to to bask in the glory and wonder and awe of his love. And, and so really our purpose is to be in relationship with him. And then God in this world gave us a, 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 a commission to create culture to to engage it's what's our basis of it's why work is not sinful it's why um we see god's play of redemption and now a commission to to make disciples of all nations where did the universe come from it came from the heart of god and and the, and the power of god and the mind of god and it's being upheld by the word of god by the word though the word of his power and is the bible reliable absolutely the bible is reliable and you can i can bank the entirety of our being for all of eternity upon the word of god because the grass withers the flower fades but the word of the lord stands forever and amen so, to that man that'll preach good. you know i think one of the amazing things about scripture is that we could talk all day about the the details of its reliability I think the ultimate thing we can look at is changed lives. We look at people's lives, the power of the message of the gospel. People are different because they read scripture and God reveals to himself and he changes their life from the inside out. The power Absolutely. of the message cannot be ignored. The changed lives cannot be ignored. The unplumbed depths of scripture that you can spend a lifetime studying it is just really what's really cool. Now, our video has stopped recording at this point. <laughs> we're having bad luck with our video recording today, uh, but we're going to keep the audio going. Matt, would you quickly uh, reset the record button real quick as we wrap this up here in a second and uh, do your, your, your double tap on the record button. But we have audio. This is going to be the most so they get to hear all that. janky video, <laughs> but the audio is going to be preserved and we're going to do really, really good. Um, what is here's something that I think is really cool too about scripture. It's incredibly honest. Like it shows its ugly parts. Like if scripture was just written by mankind to promote this idea or this concept of really degenerate its own sort of religion, it would not have its ugly parts in it. 
You know, it would not, <laughs> the heroes of the faith were incredibly flawed and yet includes those flaws. And you would think that it, that would be edited out if there was some kind of, um, if this was just invented by man. Well, on the note, hey, Matt, give us, give us some of your kind of closing thoughts and then wrap us up in prayer. <laughs> I know. We've been going back and forth on this lot, man. It's just like, yeah, I mean, yeah, do I comment on that or do I comment on, no, I, um, I think that uh, going back again to what you said, that the fact that we can know our creator, we can know that we have been intelligently designed and um, that God offers that opportunity to, to, to know for him, us to know him and for us to relate to him. And I love studying history. I love studying science and seeing how all these things continue to, to just affirm the fact that, God made us. God loves us, and and even with the Bible and seeing the the places that are mentioned in the Bible, you know, I talked about getting to go to the Holy Land and just getting to see that and experience that, and and continuing all these years just to see again and again God proving His faithfulness, say it is true, it is right, and you can bank your life on it. And um, yeah, so can God's awesome. Good well, stuff, man. Uh, while yeah. we uh, wrap this up and uh, close things out, I'm going to close this out in prayer. Actually, Matt, we've been kind of talking a lot about back and forth on this stuff. You, you want to close this out in prayer? Sure. Yeah. All right. God, thank you for being so much bigger than we are. And thank you, Lord, for being able to, um, giving us the opportunity to know you and to, to as we study science, as we study history and to see time and time again, you prove that you are the designer, you are the creator. And um, God, we thank you. We thank you that um, we are we are not God. We are we are not the ones who who call the shots, but you are. And uh, Lord, we worship you and acknowledge you as the source of all truth. And God, we acknowledge your word uh, and the fact that you have given us a, the way to know you. Um, Lord, you've given us general revelation, but you've also given us that special revelation in your word where we can um, learn more about who you are and learn more about humanity and how flawed humanity is, uh, but also learn about the the love that you have for humanity, the fact that you, you've created us in your image. And um, God, what you made is very good. And uh, Father, even though we are flawed, we mess up, uh, you have made us um, you, just very intricate inside, but also just um, giving us... Uh, emotions and feelings and, and the ability to reflect a loving creator. And mm. we thank you for that, God. And uh, as we continue to dig into these questions, God, getting to see um, that we can know you and God, that you you can stand up to any of these questions, any of these doubts, um, God, that you are, are bigger and you are true and you are right. We thank you for that. So in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, we appreciate you listening. If you've got any Absolutely. questions, feel free to contact us. Yes. I know on some of these questions, we've not gone uh, as specific as uh, as we can, but it's because we've got uh, we've just done it on some of our Wednesday night um, Wednesday night discipleship materials that are available on the, uh, online as well on our on our channel to look at. So I'd encourage you to check that if out. If you go to our specifics. website and go to connect and go to FPC Media, you'll find a little link there for Wednesday night Bible study. And you can scroll through, see the different topics, and you can find more information that Wes goes through, especially the Bibleology stuff, explaining the scripture and how reliable um, the text is. Also, our translations as well. He goes into all that. And it's very, very, very great, great 
good content. But <laughs> 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 well, we're, we're going to wrap this up, but be sure to share this with anybody you'd listen to. You think might enjoy it, be encouraged by it. You can, of course, listen to it on Spotify, Apple, Google, all the podcast platforms. And uh, give us a thumbs up on YouTube or like it on Facebook. That always helps uh, the Google overlords and tech people say, hey, this video is good. But sharing is caring, and we appreciate anybody who does that. So go for it and have an awesome summer. We'll see you guys next time.